Members of the company, this is your half an hour call. You have 30 minutes. This is your half an hour call. Thank you. Thanks to Anthony Papamichael for the call. Hello, welcome to the Stage Podcast in association with Charcoal Blue. Now, in a little while, you can hear Fergus finding his calling as a rat race commentator and finding two new best friends in Lilo and Lola. First, though, my friend went to see Christmas Carol at the RSC a couple of months ago now, and she said that the illusions in it were really good. So I tracked down Ben Hart, who designed them, and realised he'd been behind the illusions of actually a load of really, really good theatre shows. You might recognise Ben from uh, Killer Magic on BBC Three and Impossible in the West End and his hugely popular stage shows in Edinburgh every year. But he spends most of his time these days designing illusions and visual tricks for the theatre, working with the RSC, the Old Vic. He's doing the upcoming tour of The Exorcist as well. Um, So we met up for a cup of tea and a chat. I mean, if you're a director, you get a lot of acclaim. But you're saying something here that, like, people who design illusions don't get that credit necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's quite a quiet often. role. It's a quiet role, and you know, I've done quite a lot of shows where I've signed away my credit. Really? Where, where producers or directors have wanted to not have that role exist, which is a slightly shady. Well, but yeah, yeah. But that's the reality of it. Well, and what's the reason for that? I don't know. And uh, you know, whilst I do, most of my work is designing for the this kind of theatre industry as we as we know it, a, a huge chunk is also designing for other magicians who want to put new material into their shows. And right. I think there it's easier to understand why they'd want to pretend they don't have writers or yeah. consultants, which I personally think is crazy, actually, because I've always thought the more people you have around you, the better you look, and there's yeah. no shame in any of that. Yeah. But, um, but anyway... It was like big comedians as well. You yeah. know, as, as when they start to get big, they get teams of writers on, exactly. but they're never credited. No, they're always credited to some other weird thing, like like um, script associates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, have, I had a lot of credits like that where I've been like... Uh, <laughs> I did one recently within the last couple of months where I was a creative consultant, which is just, you know, just about the most anonymous... <laughs> Creative consultant, what does that even mean? It must be strange for you, particularly having performed as a magician, that uh, suddenly you're having to give this kind of this stuff over to other people, and you don't know whether you at the beginning whether you can trust them to do it well. No, you never know, and that's the that's the hardest thing about the job is um, you have to just kind of hope it will all be okay, but you don't know if it's going to work, and you usually will never know if it's going to work until till you tech it. Yeah, and then you get to tech rehearsals and. Of course, everything runs over, and there isn't enough time to take it properly. Yeah. So you have to hope that the director is on board too, so that you can share the blame if it looks a bit naff. Well, what's the kind of? I mean, who's the the kind of creative impulse behind? Is it a director who says, "I want a couple of bits"? Of it, do you know, it's been different. Every single every single thing I've worked on has been different. I mean, it, it usually begins with the playwright, doesn't it? They okay. put something in. And it always makes me laugh when you read a script and you you open the page and you see this thing in italics that this playwright is sitting at their desk and thought, oh, this is a good idea. Like the the funniest one I ever had was I did um, a play called Wild by Mike Bartlett. Oh yeah, yeah. And the end of that was like the room they've been in for the whole play disappears, (laughs) and the actor is walking on the walls, and then she pops herself with a safety pin like a balloon. End of play. That's what was written. And I was like, uh, you know, I got that script and I thought, what? What's in the drink? Where do you even begin? How's this even got this far? (laughs) Everyone always thinks that we've got the answers to everything. (laughs) And of course, well, I mean, that's the impression you have to give as an illusion designer. We're mainly a creative catalyst. Yeah. Quite a lot of what I do when I'm working on shows is I sit in a rehearsal room and I go, sorry, I, I hate to, you know, I know it's not really my department, but have you considered this? 
and you can quite often solve things that way. Um, have you found people to be a bit resistant to that? Because I know rehearsal rooms can be quite sort of sacred spaces in some ways. It's really hard, and you know, as my reputation has grown, it's become easier, definitely, yeah, yeah, because yeah. my track record is getting stronger. Yeah, it is hard to say to people, you know, this is this is it has to be done this way. Like, the the trick will only work if you stage it like this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you say, you, you've got no choice, you have to light it like this, and that means the set for this scene has to be like this. Mm. And because the set for this scene has to be like this, the set for the opening scene has to be like this. And suddenly, before you know it, one moment has actually transformed the entire structure of the show. But also, magic in theatre is becoming, I think, maybe more popular. And I think, it, I think the reason why is because, well, we have to compete with this the aggressive kind of media all around us yeah. we're so like stimulated in so many ways that yeah. audiences kind of do want to see something a bit of spectacle and I was just thinking like that's eight, eight times a week these tricks have to work perfectly it's that challenge of making things work every night is really really tough yeah these things are kind of only ever as reliable as people. Yeah, and yeah. people are not reliable. Yeah. This is the reason why accidents happen. I, yeah. I put a saw into the end of my thumb the other day. Oh you know, my like God. people are not people are not reliable. And so I have um so sometimes you put an effect in and it just like some nights you look at the show report and someone's translated it to be the effect didn't work or whatever mm. you know and, and before you know you, you're kind of you lose faith in your own ideas and probably what happened was the prop wasn't set right or something and that battle of maintenance maintaining the props is a, is a real challenge in the design process because so, I can't just design what I want yeah I have to design what can be maintained and will the producers cough up to have multiples made so we've got spares which they usually won't so that's the way we make theatre is a bit of a challenge, and certainly in the in the traditional magic industry, just for magicians, yeah. we make things in a totally different way. If I take my own show as an example, I have spares of everything. Mm. Every prop has a second version, mm-hmm. and the show is set twice. And if anything breaks, doesn't matter. And the props are constantly maintained and just like just checked because the props are kind of everything. Um, whereas in theatre, of course. You know, you might put something in on a long run and maybe somebody from stage management gets ill and they have to have the cover come on and and the, the knowledge can get lost very quickly. Yeah. And when the knowledge is lost, it's quite hard to build it back up again. Yes. Yeah. Because then they end up teaching their altered version to the next person who comes along and you lose that so, so quickly. Yeah. So anyway, when you're designing, I have to design like, oh, well, probably it should be made of this material because it's stronger than this one. Even though it does a worse job, it's going to last longer. Generally speaking, I will very closely watch the, the production of every prop, and if it's a smaller prop, I might make it myself, or use some of my makers. Um, if it's something larger, I will, it will usually get made by a, whoever's building the set, or in-house sometimes, if there's, a, if there's a workshop. And I'll usually be absolutely all over that. Do you have, do you have a workshop, then, that, where you make things? Yeah, I have got a workshop, yeah. I, I mean, workshop is... What I call it, really, it's a glorified shed. Okay. It's a big shed. Yeah. It's very kitted out, but it's got no heating. Actually, my friends laugh at me because often my designs are comprised of components which will fit in the shed. <laughs> so it's right, like, right. like so modular. Not, yeah. It'll be yeah. like, oh yeah, the people say, oh, how long should that, how tall should that thing be? And I'll be like, oh, it should be about this tall, which is the height shed of the door length. of my shed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the boot of my car. Um, and then you so you said you've got makers. I mean, how do you go about getting makers? You just have to find lots of people who are good at their special things. Most of the time, magic props in theatre are 
like kind of interdisciplinary. Okay. It's like it's very rare that you have something which is only made of metal or yeah, only yeah. made of fabric or only ma- you know it's going to be like oh we need this quick change costume but it's going to need like metal like buckles yeah, put yeah. in the back and it's going to yeah. need like a, an aluminium rod up the back of it or something <laughs> so you just need to find like you go oh who would I give that to oh I know this person who makes costumes for cosplay or something right you know and you go ah, they, they've done something where they've put put structure into costumes and you just are constantly looking for who can make this who can make that I did the um, I did the exorcist stage yeah. the exorcist and uh, I had to design this way of making somebody's head spin and I was like well who's actually going to make that and then I know that one of my friends does um, makes puppets but does a lot of 3D printing and I was like a right. puppet maker who does 3D printing is going to be perfect for that particular mechanism that we needed I so wish I'd seen that I wanted to see how that how that worked it was good it was probably the best thing I've designed except for the fact that um, it, I mean it was really really hard to get right yeah. When I took that job on, I don't think I might be making this up. I'm pretty sure that the that effect wasn't in the script. Mm. They'd taken it out because they just assumed it was going to be can't naff. Do it. Yeah. And, it's and, also like you mentioned the Exorcist to someone, and the first thing people think of is is that bit. Yeah. If I'm going to do the Exorcist, I'm going to make the head spin, of yeah. course. Yeah. And also, I knew how I knew pretty quickly how I wanted to do it, but going from that to a prop that can do eight shows a week, you yeah. know, indefinitely. Well, that's what, another reason why I wanted, it 3D, wanted the components 3D printed, because it gave the opportunity to, to switch mechanical components in and out really easily. Yeah. Instead of saying to somebody, oh, I need just to make another, another wheel, it had a wheel in it, mm. um, where they'd have to just do it off their measurements and do it by hand. Right. It might not be perfect. And also that's really exciting for me to know exactly the world, because you know, every now and then projects come up which do need to be duplicated, they open in another territory or something. Yeah. And in that case, I'm very excited by the idea of being able to email the props. So talk me through some of the other shows that you've worked on, other theatre shows you've worked on. I did uh, Christmas Carol at the RSC, mm-hmm. which has just came back this year for a second year, because seemed to be a great success yeah it was a total delight to work on so um, what uh, I mean without well, giving the, too much away well there's a really nice bit where the Marley appears the ghost of Marley appears and um, but the set part of the set is a big like a four poster bed that rises up from the centre of the stage mm-hmm. and originally we just said oh we'll just have Marley appear on the bed but then I thought, well, it's not a very good magic trick, is it? If we've seen a four-poster bed come up from the ground <laughs> through a trapdoor, and then someone appears someone, in the bed, yeah. as a percentage of the like the total volume that we've just seen come out of the stage, yeah. to have a person is very boring. Yeah. And the other thing was, this this is the type of thing that that um, dictates your design solutions because I realised if he's going to be playing a ghost, well, you try getting off a bed looking like a ghost. <laughs> really? So, like, if you, I tried it. I got, you know, sat on the sat on the bed, and I was like, "How would I get off the bed, looking like?" What a ghost? you just look too human? Yeah, just look yeah. too human. Just you lose all status as a ghost <laughs> if you have to get off a bed. <laughs> yeah. So then I said, "Right, I'm going to devise a way of kind of delivering him to be sat on the end of the bed, in a way which the audience won't be fooled by, but mm-hmm. will just look totally bizarre." And yeah. In the end, it just looked so strange, like something out of a horror film. First, you see his feet poke out at the end of the bed, out underneath the the duvet. Or yeah, yeah. The feet come out, and then he sort of slowly kind of slides out and up. As though, I described it to somebody as: imagine falling, but falling into a swamp, 
but in reverse and in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. So it's very, very hard to describe. It looks fantastic. That's great. And it's the type of thing which could never have been achieved anywhere but at the RSC. Right. Because the, the engineering needed to do it was just, they've got that there. They can engineer those solutions. And then uh, there's a bit where, in that show, where um, Scrooge puts his hand through the ghost of Marley. Oh, wow. Which was like a very complicated costume which also had to be accommodated in the way that Marley would appear in the bed. Yeah. So it's a bit like building a bridge. Each each theme kind of affects the other yeah. and you're hoping that you'll find that keystone which holds it all together. Yeah. I'd always rather have one or two moments which really are striking yeah. than create this horrible magic show of compromise where you're wheeling on and off these props that don't really look like things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just did... Um, Iron You at the Hampstead. Oh, yeah. And at the end of that, there's a... I don't want to ruin the plot twist. At the end of that, there's a moment where one of the characters has to kind of cease to exist. <laughs> and uh, and again, you know, everything about that, if you try to solve that as a magician, you'll end up with, they climb into a box. Oh, we've got to disguise the box as something that looks every day. What can it look like? It could look like a filing cabinet or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, before you know it, you've got some dodgy effect. Yeah, yeah. So in the end... You know, you have to really think like, what would that actually look like, and then let's reverse engineer from there. And actually, that means designing the whole set around that one moment. That is incredible. Yeah, there was a great play at Hampstead as well a few months ago called the, uh, the Humans. Did you see that? I didn't see that. There really. was just, at the very last second of it, it had a really simple but just really excellent illusion where the husband sort of goes out, slams the door, and the stage is empty, and then there's a pause. And then the door just creaks open, oh, nice. and then it's blackout, and I it's like it's so very simple. subtle, very yeah. subtle and simple. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, it's my worst nightmare. Doors opening, <laughs> they appear all the time. You know, ghost, ghost yeah. type plays. Very often, doors open. It's probably been my most commonly suggested effect. Right, and they're usually not frames like that yeah, usually yeah. they're really naff things you think just cut it yeah. I, the amount of times I say to people you know the energy we're going to go through to have this door open <laughs> and nobody's going to care anyway but but it's really hard to do to have a door open on stage is really really <laughs> really really hard to do I've probably done 10 or 20 different solutions to the problem none of them have been good <laughs> that's great because what people forget is when you open a door, the, the leverage of the thing is mm. such that it's easy to open the door from where the door handle is. Yeah. Because it's far away from the pivot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's if you want the door to open yeah. on its own, you're probably going to have to move it from near its hinge. Yeah. Which means you're not going to get it to move at the correct speed to correlate to the speed any normal human would open or close a door, right? <laughs> because it looked like just the sheer physics of the problem are yeah. really, really hard to solve. Yeah. But also the funny thing is, it's hard to explain to people sometimes who've worked in theatre and done amazing things in their own right. It's hard to say to them, oh, that assumption you've made is actually wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation like this very recently with a producer who wanted to do a trick that relied on a mirror. And the mirror would be on stage reflecting somebody in the wings as though they were on the centre of the stage. So it would be at such an angle that you think you're seeing the centre of the stage, you're seeing it's the wings. I said... This is never going to work because the reflection on a mirror doesn't appear on the surface of the mirror. It appears behind the mirror. Right. Because anything in front of the mirror appears the same distance behind the mirror. Right? Yeah. Okay. That means if you're reflecting, let's say you've put your mirror mid-stage. Yeah. And you're reflecting into the wings. Your, 
you're now looking at such a long distance. Someone that's very far someone's away. Someone's very, very far away that the only people who would see the reflection in the mirror would be sitting in the centre of the very centre of the theatre. Of theater. course, yeah. Anybody off centre, yeah. it's like looking down a corridor. Yeah. You'd never see them. Anyway, and they, they, didn't, they didn't really easily get their head around that. But, but, uh, but that's hard to say to people sometimes. Of course. This thing you're relying on just doesn't work. Well, uh, it's also hard to say to them, look, you fundamentally misunderstood something quite simple. <laughs> and also, but the, the, the solution has to be designed around the space too, and yeah. that's a bit of a pain sometimes. Yeah. But it's also not always a pain. Like, sometimes, let's say you want to hide somebody in a table or, or something, or hide them in a yeah, tabletop. Yeah, yeah. You say, well, that's going to have to be quite deep to get somebody in it. It's going to look weird. Yeah. And then you say, well, let's look at the space. Well, anybody in the stools is looking at the underside of it, so they can't see the depth. Yeah. And anybody in the circle is looking down on it, so they can't see the depth. So, happy days. Yeah. And then you put it in the rehearsal room, and they say, oh, it looks rubbish. You say, it's not made made for this room. It's made for that room. How long has it taken for this balance to shift between you performing and you consulting? I really like making things and what frustrates me what frustrated me when I was only performing or mainly performing was that I wasn't getting a chance to make things quickly enough because it's just financial really isn't it mm-hmm. I, it was doesn't make sense for a performer to be constantly making new ideas yeah. whereas when I'm spending producers money making new things that's great I get to make the new things get to see the new things and move on to the next one do they just Everyone's give you happy. so do they give you a budget oh never I always say <laughs> I always say you know this will be so much more painless if you just give me just what you allocated in the budget yeah, yeah. just tell me because I, I, it's not a you know I don't know why you're keeping it secret I know what these I know what these things cost and then they say things like okay we'll negotiate with that builder that prop builder you go, that's my mate oh, really that's my mate I know what yeah why, yeah yeah they've got weird, rate and, it's yeah. all this weird it's very weird but anyway but that's the nature of any business I mean that is ultimately the tragedy of it all is that it's very rare to have the budget to do things as well as you want to and yeah. the shows that have done that like Potter and all these other shows yeah. uh, you can see it makes a difference yeah 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 absolutely you can see you, well you can sense the money behind it I, and I often say another thing I have is, is if people contact me and we're negotiating about rates I also say, well, before we do this great negotiation, we do need to talk a little bit about what will be spent because it's no good you bringing me on board to do special effects and then you don't have any money to do them. Yeah. And then you have these like annoying battles. I'll, I'll give you an example of what the type of battle I have. Yeah. For some reason in theatre, people really want people to appear and disappear in beds. <laughs> It happens all the time. Like so many scripts, oh, they just appear in a bed or they disappear in a bed. That's okay, but that's written by somebody who hasn't already done that 20 times. Yes, of course. So for me, if I see that, I'm immediately like, oh, God. Mm. So anyway, but then you say to the designer, oh, well, if we're going to have somebody appear in the bed, let's at least make the bed look like it's too small to have held a person hiding within it. Okay. But then they say, well, this is a Victorian bed and Victorian mattresses were very deep. And you go, okay, well... If you put your Victorian mattress, which is really deep on it, and someone if appears someone in the bed... someone pops out of it, it's then, kind of obvious. But on a, on a bigger level than that, firstly, it's obvious from a magic point of view, but secondly, the statement you're making to the audience is that your actor was hiding in that bed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but they, but the, the cast deserve to be empowered. Yeah. They deserve better than for the audience to think, how long were they hiding in that bed for? Yeah. Which is exactly what they're going to think. Yeah. Then you say to the designer, okay, so now we're in this headlock... Either we have to compromise on the thickness of the mattress for it to not be Victorian thickness, or we have to have it the correct thickness 
but the audience will be questioning that actor's got a difficult job yeah that's why the Christmas Carol at the RSC knowing we had this big bed I just created a completely different language for right. it, where we, right. we accepted the fact that the audience knew the person was hiding in it yeah. and we made it a really interesting physical movement who are the actors you've worked with who've just got it, it uh, I did a short film with Ian McKellen and he was the best magician I've ever seen <laughs> by miles he's a real wizard well first he's had the practice <laughs> he's had the practice but you know it it, it's that thing it's that whatever that is I don't know what it is that intangible thing of like mm. you have to magic is acting so let's take the example of a sleight of hand magic trick okay you are hiding a snooker ball in your hand and you have to reach up into the air make that like push that snooker ball up out of your hand so that it's visible but make it look like you've caught it from the air in front of you yeah okay well somebody can do that and it just looks like they've just Push the snooker ball out of the yeah. Or another person can visualise the snooker ball in the air, move their hand weightlessly up to the ball, right. pluck the ball out of the air, whereupon their hand now has more weight in it because the ball's heavy, you know, and now like acknowledge the presence of the ball and it becomes a mind exercise. Yeah. And some people just get that and other people kind of don't. And um, McCallum actually really got that. That's brilliant. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's hard because sometimes the people you think it will be fantastic end up being rubbish. <laughs> I've had that a few times where you go, oh, this person. I worked with a, with a physical, like, kind of clown, physical comedian. Right. I thought they're going to be amazing yeah. at magic. They were like a mime artist clown. They were terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. What made them terrible, do you think? I think it was, um, I think it was too much effort. Yeah, like, it's that middle. That's that strange, intangible middle ground of like, if you can really do magic, it's effortless. Yeah. For example, all good sleight of hand magic is about the conservation of energy because we're fundamentally lazy, aren't we, as humans? <laughs> and so, a lot of the time, when you teach people magic, you go, "Why does that look wrong?" It's because they're not they're not choosing the laziest options. Yeah. They're really like exaggerating things instead yeah. of exaggerating laziness. Yeah. Like. You say, oh, just put your hand in your pocket. And they really put their hand in their pocket. And you think, well, no, do it in the laziest way possible and it'll be invisible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, it's all about how the brain makes assumptions and paints in details. Um, I'll give you a bad example. Is, uh, okay, in front of me is a little um, a silica gel sachet from a box of shoes. Do or not something. eat it. Yeah, it says do not eat, you know, one of those things. Okay, if I put it in my hand, I'll make it disappear. It doesn't that right. Now, that what I good. did was pretend to pass it over from one hand into the other, put all my energy and thought into the hand which was holding nothing, and yeah. then made like it disappeared. Right. But you'll see your brain fills in a lot of things that, that aren't there. Yeah. Like you can almost get I to the point where you, you, you can actually you kind of see the Yeah, because I heard the shake of it yeah. and and the, the kind of little shake of it I assumed was it hitting your hand. Yeah. Passing it over. And you, you can almost you almost see it travelling across yeah, yeah. your 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 brain paints in so many yeah, details, yeah. and it's absolutely the same. In, it's the same in the theatre. You know, we paint in all these little details, and that's that is the magic of theatre. That mm. you can see somebody with their hands in their pockets, waggling their coat as though they're in the wind, and you can just go, "Oh yeah, it's windy." Yeah, you know, your right. brain is just. We're so you know we're so desperate to deceive ourselves. Our Precisely. brains are absolutely desperate to trick themselves. Exactly, and that's no more true than in theatre where. 
you are sitting there in the dark and doing nothing but making meaning yeah. on stage. And so you don't need the effect to be the same as a film effect. No, you don't no, need no. a big car explosion or whatever. You need the suggestion of it yeah. and your brain will fill that in. And that's unbelievably beautiful, isn't it? That our brains are so desperate for wonderment <laughs> yeah. that in a world of answers, we're just crying. We're prepared to sit in the dark <laughs> Pay a lot, an extortionate amount of money, money, unbelievable money, to sit in the dark in the hope of feeling wonderment. In, in this case, <laughs> feeling some feelings, <laughs> just desperate to feel anything. Yeah. Now a word from our sponsors, Charcoal Blue. What makes the perfect performance venue? Good seats, great views of the stage, the bar, a queue for the toilet that doesn't take you out the front door. In truth, every venue is unique, from a rehearsal room to a West End house to a large-scale presenting venue, or even an arena. Undertaking the design or renovation can be a challenge. But at Charcoal Blue, that's all they do. Charcoal Blue are the leading theatre, acoustic and digital design consultancy that have designed, renovated, tweaked and polished more than 150 performance and presentation spaces, both here and abroad over the past 14 years. From a six-person mobile podcasting studio to a new home for the London Symphony Orchestra, their team of experienced musical and theatre professionals innovate at any scale. With studios in London, Bristol and Glasgow, speak to them today about how they can help you realise your ambitions for your space. Visit them at charcoalblue.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at charcoalbluetc. So thanks to Charcoal Blue. Now, never work with children or animals, they say, but what about someone with the temperament of a child working with animals? Here is Fergus Morgan. Where are you, Fergus, and what the hell are you doing? Well, Tim, I've had a go at doing accents. I've had a go at doing circus. I've had a go at being a dame, and I've been pretty bloody awful at all three of them. So, I'm walking along Shaftesbury Avenue right now, and I'm headed for the Piccadilly Theatre, where, of course, Curious Incident is currently playing, to meet Des Jordan of Performing Pets and two of his friends to see if I can become an animal trainer. My name is Desmond Jordan, and I've got a company called Performing Pets, um, which supplies animals and pets to film, theatre, education, therapy and special events. I really love my job. I've got a small farm and all of our animals are famous some way or another. They're all friendly, they're all lovely and they're all my mates. In theatre, for example, we've worked with cows on stage, pigs on stage, donkeys, chickens, rats, goats. So yeah, quite a, oh, quite a variety. Yeah. You must have some particular characters in there. Yeah, there's, really there's quite a few that really um, stand out. For example, we've done a production with some goats, and there were six goats in the production, which was really exciting. Was and that the one at the Royal Court? The Royal Court, yeah, that's, that's correct, yeah. And that was really exciting. It was a big mission, because obviously six goats in and out of theatre every day. Yeah. And they loved it. They really, really enjoyed it. It was like a big playground. The whole theatre was designed especially for them. Hmm. Um, but they, they thought it was fun. they give us a run for our money. Um, but one always sticks in my mind was um, I'd rather Goya rob me of my sleep than some other arsehole with two pigs. And that run at the Notting Hill Gate, right, yeah. um, that was really, really interesting because it's the first time I've ever had pigs in theatre. Um, and it was quite a, a job really because obviously being clean, had to clean up every night. So it was, uh, but it was really good. The pigs enjoyed it. They had fun. Um, so yeah, that was one that sticks in my mind. How did you get into preparing animals for the stage? 25 years ago, I had a, a pet shop. Right. And it was a really good pet shop. Um, I had all sorts of different animals um, in the shop, 
some of them my pets and obviously some um, like the rabbits and fish and well, what not for sale but um, I was breeding some British Bulldogs at the time and um, an agency rang me um, got me through the kennel club which the, my dogs were res- registered and they said to me oh, you've got some puppies uh, for sale could we borrow them I said what do you mean by borrow them thinking that I had uh, some madman on the phone and he said oh we'll collect you we'll take you and your puppies to this photo shoot we'll do the photo shoot and then um, we, you can go and I'll give you this much and I thought well that sounds okay that sounds quite good um, because obviously it was my first time and it was a random call I'd forgotten all about it so on this Wednesday afternoon I think it was uh, this guy walked in very tall gentleman he said hi I'm looking for Des and I looked at him and I thought I wonder why he wants Des so I said yes how can I help you and he said I've come to collect you and the puppies for a photo shoot so I quickly got the puppies out of the cage and, and the, in the puppy run they was in um, put them in a carrier and then we went along and done this photo shoot and it was amazing I really enjoyed it the pups had fun everybody loved them um, and then that was that and then a few weeks later I got a phone call from the same agency uh, and then it just went on from there really what's involved in getting an animal ready for the stage do they have to be like the right temperament yeah for the, the st- right do you have to train them in a well yeah it's, you've got to get the animal that's for, 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 for one it's got to be friendly it's got to be um, confident but yeah for theatre we'd like to obviously take the animal along to the stage get familiar with smells and uh, size and shape and so they can see and feel that they're safe and then obviously introduce them to actors lights sounds and then we do that just slowly slowly um, and build up the tolerance for the animal whatever animal it is so then obviously when it's it's maximum that's when you're ready for your show like the sound the lights the stomping the, the noise and the, the amount of people so you just build it up slowly for the animal and then obviously travel them backwards and forwards a couple of times just so that they get familiar um, and nothing's going to stress them if, if something does stress them or they're not handling it or then they're, they're not coping with it then obviously we'll change the, either the animal or if, we, if it's on a rabbit for example and it doesn't seem to be travelling because we make a log every day of what happens and what don't happen so if we find that they're having struggles with anything if we can't help them with that then obviously we'll, we'll stop that we'll pull it, pull it from the show and then hopefully find somebody to fit their place The animal's well-being is always number one. importance yeah. Number one, yeah without a shadow of a doubt Have there ever been any mishaps on stage with animals not behaving? One of the, the dogs in the audience with Helen Mirren got the sack for actually um, pooing on stage and running on stage and straight back into the wing because she found that there was wings. Um, if you stand on a, on a stage and there's wings, the dogs didn't realise because we sent them from one wing to the other wing, which was opposite. And Lizzie, the little corgi, she looked right one day and thought, that's the wing where I'll get my treat. So she went literally on stage, round the, turned right round the corner and back out the wing expecting a treat. Once she'd done it the once, that was it, we'd lost her. So she actually got the sack. And the oh. day before she left, she'd done a pool on stage. So she left, it, she left in <laughs> <Day> style. protest. <laughs> yeah. At the moment, we're backstage at the Piccadilly Theatre where Curious Incident, and we're going to meet someone that's in Curious Incident uh, in a sec. But you've got other animals in other shows at the moment, is that right? We've got a couple of shows running, yes, we have. We've got the Nativity, the musical running at the moment with a four-year-old poodle, um, Pepper, her name is, but her stage name is Cracker. She gets so much fuss. She looks forward to the treats. She gets really spoilt backstage. So in her eyes, it's the best job that anybody could ever ask, like, give her. Does she get along with Danny and Danny Dyer? Um, Very much so. Young Danny really spoils her, she loves her, she calls her Peppa Pig. Even Joe Brand loves Pepper. But you could not, not love Peppa because she's so beautiful to look at. She's so 
and she just gives you if like we've been touring with her um, since end of September and if somebody's missing home uh, missing their loved ones you can come to the puppy room have a little fuss with the puppy a bit of therapy and it makes you feel that much better and obviously Peppa's never going to say no to a cuddle now we've just finished the wild duck um, oh, the duck the duck in the wild duck the duck in the wild duck yeah we just finished that um, Dad, did you have to train that? I suppose ducks stay in boxes quite a lot. Yeah, the once they go in the dark, they, they go dormant. Really quiet, don't they? Yeah, but there was um, there was a little trick to that one because obviously, in the duck in a box on stage, it, as the young girls opened the box, the duck would have jumped out. Mm. So we had a little hole at the bottom where the handler passed the duck to the child, so the duck was never um, able to hurt itself, get free, or anything. The duck safety was number one. Again. Oh, so when the box was put down, someone passed the duck up into the There box. was a little hole through the, through the floor, the stage, where one of our handlers was there waiting at a certain queue, and there's the little girl under the box, we passed it through so that it was never ever free, the duck could never hurt itself. That was seamless, I didn't spot that at all. Good, that's oh. what it's all about. And I'm sorry I mentioned it, and I hope I haven't spoiled it for anybody. <laughs> no, no, I think you're all right. Well, it's finished now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, right, now we're about to meet two of your furry little friends. Who are these guys? Well, this is Lola and Lila, two rats. Lola has red eyes and Lila has black eyes. And that's because we're doing eight shows a week. And it would be unfair for one rat to do eight shows a week. Um, so we've got a little rotor. Red Eyes does one show, then Black Eyes does one show. So we know who's on, who's off. Um, and they live better in with company. So it's best to have two rats together. They're lovely, they're friendly as you can see. Hello Lila, can I, can I hold her? Yeah, of course you can. Never held a rat before. She's Ooh, very friendly. Pure white, and this is... Ooh, ooh. Yeah, she's very agile. She's very agile. She's got black eyes. Pure white, and then you've got Lola, who's exactly the same. She's gone on here. And again, a lot of the cast and crew um, have a lot of time for the for the rats, um, which is really nice. You've seen yourself; they are spoiled run. They've got more or less run. Yeah, up the we whole were just wardrobe. we were just downstairs, and that was wardrobe where we were. Yes, downstairs, and they had they had a cage, they had a little run, they had all sorts of a mezzanine to play floor. With. They had a mezzanine. Yes, yeah, so they're very lucky. <laughs> they're very spoiled rats. These yes. are the luckiest rats in London, in some. I ways. would have said so. Yes, for definite. <laughs> Definitely. Can I make a little sort of thing for them to go one? Yeah, you, yeah, if you want to make something. Oh, I've got this, this will this be great. That's it, they'll enjoy that. I don't know what I'm doing here, really. I'm going to make, just make a little sort of like slalom for them. That's it. And then they're going to go completely around it. Yeah. That'll be fine. I've set up a short little obstacle course, a sort of slalom yeah. for one of these two rats to have a go at, and we're going to try and tease it around the course. We're going to try and lure it around the course. So who do we want to release? Do you want to release Lola or Lila? So I think we'll go with Lila. Yeah, Lila. Lila's got black eyes. Lila's black eyed rat. Out, yes. out she comes. Good girl. That's okay. Okay, she's around obstacle one, which is a prep coffee cup. She's gone through the skipping rope. She's going around the wet wipes now. Here she comes. Oh, she's gone back through the skipping rope. That's, that's not the way, Lila. Lila, come back this way. Good girl. Here we go, Lila. Come on. We're sort of ushering her with our hands. Oh, she's, gone, she's looking at herself in the mirror now. Isn't you pretty? That's a good girl. <laughs> Hello, Lila. Good girl, come this way. Come this way, good girl. She doesn't seem to fancy it. You're not going to do the cups, no? She's not, we're not going to get her to go around the white wipes, I think. Oh, she's on the white wipes now. She's sniffing. <laughs> she's right next to the microphone now. <laughs> oh, she's miles away now. This is never going to work. I don't think I've got a future in animal handling. Never give up. <laughs> you have to have lots of patience. Here she comes. Here she comes. There you go. That's she's it. up to the first mug, she's, she's in looking the in the mug. Yes. She's going around the... This, this counts, this counts. She hasn't quite she's gone She's going to come back, she's going to come back, come on. She's going to come all the way back. Lola, come on. 
Good girl, come on. Hey, up, what's this? <laughs> yes! Come on, Lola. Here she goes, here she goes. This will do. On the home straight. Yes. Back to the skipping rope, back around yeah, the top of the cup. Girl. And right. back into the box. Perfect. Well done, well, well done, Lola. Congratulations, you've, uh, you've impressed me. You've got <laughs> animal wrangling going on there. Right, I think um, I've taken up enough of your time, Des. Lovely. Thanks very much for chatting to me. Thank you and, so much. Um, yeah, thanks very much, Lola and Lila. Yeah, thank you, girls. You've done brilliant once again, as always. Members of the company, this is your Act One Beginners Call. Act One Beginners to the stage, please. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. More of the same next month, but until then, bye-bye. <laughs>